0: Good morning, it's Sunday, the 11th day of September 2016. He's been called so many things, a spiritual visionary, an eccentric genius, a psychopath, a drug-addicted sex maniac, a poet, a playboy, and even a secret agent. He might have been all of these things, or maybe he was none of them. But today I continue the story to the best of my ability of Alistair Crowley on the 105th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, Time for Coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. I'm so glad you're with me today. Well, congratulations to Regina on Facebook for winning the How Did Jeff Screw Up Weekly Contest. Apparently, last week, I said the show was the 204th episode when, of course, it was only the 104th. Thanks, G, for the correction. I'm really surprised I don't have to be corrected more often. So, the horror of all horrors happened last week. After I published part one of my story on Aleister Crowley, I found out that both Petter and Brecky from the PsyCon Network were former initiates of the Ordo Templi Orientis. The OTO, as it's known, is an international, fraternal, and religious organization founded at the beginning of the 20th century. English author and occultist Alistair Crowley has become the best-known member of the Order. And to be honest with you, I read that straight from Wikipedia, so Brecky and Petter, don't yell at me if I got that wrong. Anyway, I wish I would have known that before I began writing the story, or maybe after I was done writing the story. But while I'm still working on it, it puts the pressure on, you know. Actually, both Petter and Brecky were very complimentary, other than letting me know that I pronounced a few terms badly, which is something I'm amazed has never happened before, and the fact that I called the Abramelon Black Magic, which Brecky assures me that it is not. They didn't have much bad to say, so thanks, guys. I told them that Coffee with Jeff has always been meant to be sort of an idiot's guide to sort of thing. And I think they thought I was putting myself down, but I really wasn't. Maybe I should have said a beginner's guide, to. You know, it's hard to do a weekly show with all the research and such, and really get too in-depth on the subject, or even forming a solid opinion. I mean, a lot of these stories that I do, I'm learning as well as writing, and I have to do it in a short bit of time, so... Brecky pointed out that I seemed to give the impression that something was wrong about Alistair Crowley, but I couldn't put my finger on it, and that's so true. Not just with Alistair Crowley, but with a lot of the stories that I write. I mean, in this case, I've read two books and watched two documentaries and so many web pages about Alistair Crowley, and each one represents the man in total, in a totally different way. One of my goals with the podcast has always been just to tell a story to the best of my ability, without judgment, and let the listener make the call, if they wish. I mean, I've noticed during my research over the years that by choosing what information and quotes you want to include, you can show a person in any light, depending on your personal agenda. I try not to have a personal agenda, although sometimes I fail. I mean, when I do a story that someone claims to have been taken aboard a flying saucer, Flown to Saturn to have a party with alien beings? Well, it's not hard to make a few judgments. Anyway, and... Oh, wait, we got some UFO news. Headline on CNET, Internet spots UFO and SpaceX explosion footage. Yeah, I suppose we've all seen that footage. Apparently, the SpaceX rocket that blew up on the launch pad the other day, destroying a Facebook satellite, was caused by aliens. It seems that dark objects were seen in the background shortly before the rocket exploded. And no, it couldn't have been birds or maybe even insects that were close to the camera lens. No, it had to be spaceships from another world. Beings who don't want Facebook to be accessible to certain parts of Africa. So now let's go into part two of the life of one of the most unusual men in history, Aleister Crowley.
1: This podcast is part of the PsyCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash PsyCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you
0: for your support. The Book of the Law, it just really is ripping up everything. It's ripping up the Bible, it's ripping up the Quran, you Koran. Know, it, it's uh, ripping up
2: all the holy books and saying, we're starting fresh now. This is the word, this is the word of the new eon. We're going to peck out the eyes of Christ on the cross. It's very, very blasphemous. It's all about liberation. It's all about having no restrictions at all. You follow your path, you follow your goal in life, and you do that above all else.
0: The Book of the Law is the
2: bible of the religion Crowley was endeavouring to found. A book of inspired writings, whereby Crowley portrays himself
0: as a medium for some higher force. Inevitably, with an egomaniac like Crowley, he finds himself cast in the central role. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. The study of this book is forbidden. It is wise to destroy this copy after first reading. Whosoever disregards this does so at his own risk and peril. These are most dire. Those who discuss the contents of this book are to be shunned by all, as centers of pestilence. All the questions of the law are to be decided only by appealing to my writings, each for himself. There is no law beyond do what you wilt. Love is the law. Love Under Will. The Orbits of the Princess Eka Efin Kansu. And so begins Alistair Crowley's The Book of the Law, an unusual set of writings that was dictated to Crowley by his own personal, holy, guardian angel, wasp. It describes the beginning of the new aeon, proclaiming the arrival of a new stage of spiritual evolution of humanity. Although it would not be published for many years, It would eventually become the central sacred text of thelema do what you wilt is the most famous line but there are other stranger passages like
2: every man and every woman is a star every number is infinite there is no difference help me o warrior lord of thebes in my unveiling before the children of heaven be thou hadit my secret center my heart and my tongue. Behold, it is revealed by Awas, the minister of Horpocrat. The carbs is in the cool, not the cool in the carbs. Worship then the Cobs, and behold, my light shed over you. Let my servants be few and secret, they shall rule the many and the known. There are fools that men adore, Both their gods and their men are fools.
0: I will admit that I've read through much of the book of the law, and I don't understand it. And apparently, since no one is allowed to explain it to me, then I must be a fool, because it is written in the book, The fool readeth this book of the law and its comments, and he understandeth it not. Samuel Little Maguire Mathers, the British occultist who was one of the founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, was once a friend and a teacher of Aleister Crowley. The two men shared a very similar passion for the occult. In fact, according to Crowley in his memoirs, The Confession of Aleister Crowley, Mathers was in the habit of playing chess against various pagan gods. But the two men seemed to have a falling out attacking each other in some sort of magical power struggle. Sometime in October of 1902, Crowley went to visit Mathers to collect some items that were in Mathers' possession. When he arrived at Mathers' apartment, Mathers refused to give the items back. This was the start of a battle that would be fought with, well, not fists, but magic. According to Crowley, at one point Mathers used an old woman... "'a female vampire to strike the first blow. "'While Crowley was having tea with this old woman, "'a strange feeling came over him, "'and and he felt something touch his hand. "'When he looked up, "'the old woman had become a beautiful young lady. "'As Crowley pulled his hand back, "'she became even more beautiful. "'She leaned forward and attempted to put her lips on his.' Realizing what was going on, he held her off. Then she began to scream obscenities like a banshee. Soon she faded back to her old, gray-haired self. She left the room cursing. This happened before Alistair and Rose had got married and before his life changed with his experience in Egypt. You know, before he met the god Awas. From Egypt, Crowley and his pregnant wife Rose returned to the Boleskin house off the shores of Loch Ness. In July of 1904, she gave birth to a daughter, which Alistair named Nui Mahataktor Hekti Sappho Jezebel Lilith Crowley. And yes, I might have got a few of those names wrong. But for a while, the three of them lived a normal family life. To help Rose with her recovery after the pregnancy... He wanted to write something she could understand, for in his opinion, his own writings and poetry were too advanced for her. So he wrote Snowdrops from a Curate's Garden. It has been described as pornographic, but Amazon says it's a hilarious and remarkably inventive collection of erotic prose and verses. Crowley, for a time, acted like a typical aristocratic father, going hunting and fishing, and spending time around the house writing poetry. It appeared for a while that Alistair had taken on the role of the proud father, but that only lasted until the spring of 1905, when, perhaps out of boredom, he decided to make his most ambitious climb yet. Crowley decided to lead an expedition to climb the world's most treacherous mountain, Kanchenjunga, in the Himalayas, the world's third highest mountain, It was such a dangerous climb that his good friend and climbing buddy, Oscar Eckenstein declined the invitation to go, saying, in part, it was due to the fact that Crowley would be leading the expedition. What happened on the climb would haunt Crowley for the rest of his life. Usually, a climb such as this would take months, if not years, to plan, but Crowley only took about a month before he set out on his adventure. Alistair, with four others plus six personal servants, three Kashmiri guides, and 79 porters, for a total of 94 people, set off to become the first people to attempt this climb. Just what happened on this climb varies depending on whose version of the story you read. But quickly, tensions between Crowley and the other four men began to develop and soon turned into a power struggle. At one point, Crowley would leave the group and go ahead, sending messages back to the others, telling them them that it was safe to follow. Eventually, they all got back together, but the arguing continued, and the porters started deserting the expedition. One of them slipped and fell to his death. Near the end, a few of the men wanted to leave Crowley and began to descend at night. Alistair warned them that if they left, they would most likely die. So later, when he heard their screams, he refused to leave the tent to go out and help. Crowley himself wrote that he was in the tent drinking tea when he heard the screams but felt there was little he could do. Four men were killed, and Crowley was widely blamed for their deaths by the mountaineering community. He eventually left everyone and returned on his own, not knowing the fate of those he left behind. There are many variations one can read on what exactly happened on that climb, and it's hard to know what to believe. But as soon as Crowley returned, he began writing letters to the Pioneer and to the Daily Mail, defending his conduct. It was around his 30th birthday when he traveled to Calcutta to meet his wife and daughter. Before they arrived, however, Crowley was walking at night when he feared he was being followed, so he ducked into a dark alley, when three men in white robes surrounded him. Crowley thought he saw a knife, and he pulled out his gun and fired. He said he saw one man fall. Some versions of this story say one man was killed, others say two. Now the gunshot would have attracted attention, and being that Crowley was a white man in Calcutta, he would have most certainly faced murder charges. But, and again, this story is according to Crowley, he used his magical ability of invisibility to escape. When Rose showed up later, he told her, you've arrived just in time to see me hanged. He was advised by a lawyer and a friend to leave at once, so the three set off on a six-month journey from Calcutta to China. Crowley continued to work on his magic while on the journey, including the Abramelin. As the journey went on, he began to distance himself from his family. It seemed that he was no longer in love with or falling out of love with Rose. In Hong Kong, the two decided to part ways. Crowley wanted to travel to see a former lover, a woman named Elaine Simpson, who he hoped to have sex with, while Rose and the child went back to Calcutta to collect their luggage and then head back to England. It was sometime around June of 1906 that Alistair received some devastating news. His young child, who was not even two years old yet, died of typhoid. He went through what has been described as a mental and physical breakdown. Crowley blamed Rose for the child's death. He said she did not properly sanitize the nipple of the bottle she used to feed the child. Rose at this point was heavily depending on alcohol. She was also pregnant again. The two eventually reunited, and in the late summer, Rose gave birth to another daughter, Lola Zaza. Most likely, due to Rose's drinking, the baby was born very sick, but with the help of Alistair, it recovered, and she would survive until 1990. It was around this time that Crowley began to perform the Abramelon again, this time with the help of his old mentor George Cecil Jones. During the ritual, which was done while heavily using hashish, he attained samadhi, the highest stage of meditation, in which a person experiences oneness with the universe or union with the Godhead, thereby making another turning point in his life. In 1909, he wrote an essay, The Psychology of Hashish, in which he championed the drug as an aid to mysticism. Crowley, along with George, would form the Agentium Astrum, or AA, an occult order to act as a successor to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Between the years of 1907 and 1909, Crowley wrote a series of works of inspiration that, with the Book of the Law, would collectively be known as the Holy Books of Thelema. Thelema is sometimes mistaken for a new religion, but I'll get into that more in Part 3. Crowley had become increasingly frustrated with Rose's alcoholism. He discovered that during a six-month absence, he had ordered over 150 bottles of whiskey. And depending on whose version of the story you listen to, He either divorced her or she divorced him. The divorce, it is said, was because of his adultery, and Rose claimed his physical abuse towards her. It was at this point that Alistair was beginning to have financial problems. The money he inherited 10 years ago was beginning to run a little short, so he began to look for people with money, particularly young men he could seduce. He went back to Cambridge University looking for just such men. It should be pointed out that what Crowley was looking for were college students willing to be seduced. He found such a man, a young Cambridge poet, the 25-year-old Victor Newberg. Newberg would become a disciple of Alistair Crowley. He was completely in love with him and gave himself fully to Crowley's will, both sexually and spiritually, in which has been described as a series of sadomasochistic homosexual encounters. Crowley would become his teacher and master of all things. He would whip a naked Newberg and leave him to suffer in the cold, damp winter air without any bedclothes. The two set out into the deserts of Algeria, where they performed a series of occult rituals, some say to open up the gates of hell. Again, stories of what happened in the desert vary from account to account. But it was at this time Crowley began to form his idea of putting sex and magic together, something he called sex magic. And magic, by the way, is spelled M-I-G-I-C-K. Newberg continued to write poetry while the two were together. Poetry that always seemed to impress Crowley. In 1909, a new novel by William Somerset Maugham called The Magician was released. When it was read by Crowley, he knew it was obviously based on him, and he was furious. He wrote an editorial in Vanity Fair under the name Oliver Haydo, accusing Ma of plagiarism. It was about this time that Crowley figured it was time to make the AA public and let the world know the truth. He created the official voice for the AA called the Equinox. It began in the summer of 1909, and it was to be published in hard case twice a year, in March and September. The Equinox mainly featured articles about occultism and magic, while several issues also contained poetry, fiction, plays, artwork, and biographies. In addition, it featured papers from the magical sybilists of the AA, which were taken from works of the Golden Dawn. Crowley's old friend and now enemy, Samuel Mathers, was quite upset when he learned of this and quickly began a lawsuit to prevent further publications. Not only did Crowley win the case, but it also provided him and the Equinox much publicity. When Frank Harris, a London newspaper editor and owner of Vanity Fair magazine, wrote a piece for the Equinox called The Magic Glasses, and also reviewed Equinox positively in his magazine, one of his competitors, Horatio Bottomley, editor of the journal John Bull, began to have Crowley investigated Bottomley ran a series of attacks on Crowley. In an open letter published in John Bull, he congratulated him on his winning the battle against Samuel Mathers, but also mentioned that it was fine advertising for the Equinox. He also asked Crowley to teach him how to become invisible. Bottomley also accused Crowley of lining up male Cambridge students for sodomy in the college dormitory. In later years, it would be John Bull that would call Aleister Crowley the wickedest man in the world. Horatio Bottomley would go down in history as one of the most audacious and successful fraudsters. In 1918, he began the John Bull Victory Bond Club, a form of savings club in which investors were not paying an interest, but instead were given the chance to win large cash prizes each month. In 1921, he was charged with fraudulently siphoning off funds from the bond club into his own bank account. He was convicted and sent to prison for seven years. George Cecil Jones, the man that helped Crowley form AA, among other things, broke off his friendship with Crowley after Westy Went Felton, editor of the Looking Glass paper, wrote an article calling Crowley one of the most blasphemous and cold-blooded villains in modern history. He also suggested that Crowley and Jones were involved in homosexual activities. While Crowley did not mind this, this was too much for Jones, so not only did he break off his friendship with Crowley, but he unsuccessfully sued for libel. After his time with Crowley, Victor Newberg served in the British Army. In 1920, he published a collection of ballads and other verse under the name Liligay, From 1933 onwards, Newberg edited a section of the Poets' Corner in a British newspaper. Here, he encouraged new talents by awarding weekly prizes. One prize went to a then-unknown Dylan Thomas. Newberg was married, then divorced, but had a son. He died from tuberculosis on May 20, 1940. Dylan Thomas, on hearing about Newberg's death, said, "Vicky encouraged me as no one else had done he possessed many kinds of genius. Not the least was his genius for drawing to himself by his wisdom, graveness, great humor, and innocence, a feeling of trust and love that won't ever be forgotten. As for Crowley's first wife, Rose Edith Kelly, the two remained friends even after the divorce, and she continued to live at the Bolesky house. Her alcoholism worsened, however, And as a result, Crowley had committed her to an asylum in September of 1911 for Alcohol Dementia. She died in 1932.
2: This particular ritual was extremely dangerous. They made no mistake, they were opening the gates of hell. The the opening lines are Zazaz, Zazaz, Nasatana Zazaz.
0: And these words are literally to open the gates of hell.
2: He knew... And this sounds a weird thing to say, he knew that magic works. We don't believe in it nowadays, but in point of fact, all that you're really doing is trying to persuade forces that do exist outside this world to come into this world. And to do so, you have to serve as that passage yourself to a large extent. And that's the reason the magician gets inside a circle and stays inside the circle. Now, Crowley liked playing with fire. He drew the circle around Neuburg, and he himself was outside the circle. Well, magicians don't do that. It it really is dangerous. You know, people can go mad. Um, They they suddenly hear voices inside their heads that they can't get rid of. Now, um, Crowley, fortunately, was such a bastard, (laughs) he was more or less immune. (laughs) Has anybody got a match? Thanks.
1: Now I can light an old goal and listen to The Sad Sack.
0: So, you know, now I've talked well over a half hour, probably closer to 40 minutes on the life of Alistair Crowley. And I've, you know, only scratched the surface of the story that's there. I skipped over a ton of little details. His, his working with his magic and his writings and his poetry and his philosophies and his his teachings and all that stuff. I mean, that's not what... The idea of this episode was is about it's more about the man Aleister Crowley and the his life. And maybe I shouldn't separate the two but time's a factor and I had to pick one area to focus on. I mean I could have talked probably for hours about his relationship with Rose or hours about the Book of the Law. Or any number of his writings or or his relationship with victor newberg that that's that's an amazing topic right there. I mean, I could have probably filled a whole six months worth of coffee with Jeff episodes, just taking every little part of Elster Crowley's life and talking about it and that That's true about a lot of people that I talk about in coffee with Jeff, and I've avoided pretty much what can be termed as his philosophy, that's sort of in a weird way turned into a religion now. I think called thelema, which I, I, I know very little about. And I think it would take a lot of work and understanding for me to even begin to discuss it. I'm mean, I'm not in the position to discuss what it's all about. Um, if you want to hear a little bit more about. Thelema and the teachings of Aleister Crowley and a bit of Buddhism. Can I suggest listening to Nothing Important Happened Today, episode 20? That's with Petter and Brecky, who are both followers, was or is, I'm not sure, of of Aleister Crowley. And can I suggest uh, you listen to Nothing Important Happened Today, episode 20, which is uh, Life is Suffering, Suffering Under Will by. Brecky and Patter um as i discussed at the beginning they they know a lot more about uh about Alistair Crowley especially his teachings and his his writings and all that kind of thing that i'm totally ignorant about and i probably will remain ignorant about cuz that's not something i'm really interested in um and I want to apologize to both Petter and Brecky. I, I try to listen to everything on the PsyCon Network, and I did miss this episode. I don't remember listening to it. And I listened to it today, and it was a very good episode. And, uh, yeah, if it's it's if you would like to know a little bit more about what the whole, for lack of a better term, religious aspect to Aleister Crowley was, that, that might be a good start. And if you have any questions about... That type of thing. You'd be much better off to send your questions to those two rather than me. Well, I think I've rambled on enough, and uh, I think it's time for the ending credits. This show and all the other shows on PsyCon are brought to you by listeners, well, like you. Or at least all that support the show at our Patreon page. For those of you who are not supporting the show, you probably should feel a little guilty, right? No, whatever, I'm just joking. But if you wanted to help out, seriously, you could go over to our Patreon page and make a small monthly contribution. Anything from a dime to a dollar will help. Just go over to psycon.fm for more information. And thanks to everybody who already supports the show. Speaking of PsyCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows, like the latest episode of Moving On, number 206. Brecky and the gang talk about the movie Time Cop, yeah, the Van Damme movie from 1994. What makes this episode so special? Well, it's the last episode with Andrew. Yeah, he's leaving Moving On, moving on to bigger and better things, I think. So good luck, Andrew, and check out Moving On and all of the other shows over at the PsyCon Network. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. If you want to complain or just say hi, feel free to send me an email. I always look forward to receiving emails, and I get so very few of them. You can also follow me on Twitter or send me a message on Twitter. My name is Coffee with Jeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Story ideas are always welcome you want to support the show but you don't have the dollars to do so then just go over to itunes and leave me a review those reviews really help and remember links to all the sources i use to write today's story can be found at psycon's coffee with jeff page well i'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the psycon network And another thanks to both Brecky and Petter for helping me out with my understanding of Alistair Crowley. To my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme song. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to everybody who reposts this on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart till next week. But the last part I promise of Alistair Crowley. Thanks to everybody. Bye. Coffee
1: with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff John of just new day. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee or coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee or coffee, coffee, coffee with Jeff. Years go by and life's filled change. Sometimes your plans get really just wants to have some coffee with you, coffee with Jeff, coffee, i coffee with Jeff, coffee, with Jeff, coffee.